I think a lot of my career has been working with teams and I've always seen the value of how powerful it is when you can work together. It's, it's like a, a symphony. That was Mary Showstark talking about her experiences of interprofessional education and collaborative practice. You're listening to Casting the Network with David Smith and Hitamitha. Each episode, we'll be talking to a guest to bring you stories, knowledge, skills, and research that center around healthcare education. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Casting the Network, in was podcast with me, David Smith, and my co-host, Hitamitha. Hi, everybody. Today, we have with us, all the way from Yale School of Medicine, the United States, Mary Shostark. Mary is assistant professor and has a vast experience in interprofessional education, practice, and even policy implementation. Mary, a very, very warm welcome to you. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to have you on. We uh, really appreciate you giving us um, and listeners your time. We know that you keep yourself extremely busy, have multiple projects. Um, Would you like to tell everyone um, a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I, uh, I am a physician assistant and I am a, a faculty and assistant professor adjunct at the Yale University School of Medicine Physician Assistant Online Program. And that's my current job. Uh, we have been online since before COVID and we were intentionally designed to be an online uh, program. And I'll talk a little bit more about uh, the program a little bit later. But just to tell you a little bit about myself, um, I'm from Miami, Florida. That's currently where I live as well in Miami Beach, and I am—I um, went to University of Florida for my schooling, uh, and I worked in trauma surgery uh, for multiple years. And I started the level one uh, trauma center with my old boss at uh, Shands uh, Hospital, and worked there for several years. And then I decided to quit my job and sell all my things and travel around the world and try to start. Uh, physician assistants in different countries, uh, such as Australia and South Africa. Some of that didn't take off. Um, but years later, the profession uh, did uh, start in multiple different countries, which I'll talk about a little bit later, I suppose, as well. Uh, from there, I, I moved to Hawaii after living in South Africa and started to work in uh, surgery there. I, uh, somewhere along those lines, I started to work for uh, the professional surfers, and I worked as their medical staff uh, traveling with them on tour. Then I moved over to Los Angeles, uh, working in trauma surgery once again. And I, uh, along that lines, I somehow got hired uh, to work with the, the U.S. government in disaster. And I have worked uh, large-scale events like President Obama's State of the Unions, um, President Trump's inauguration on the White House lawn, in multiple different um, trainings for disaster, which is also an interprofessional specialty. Uh, and we can talk more about that later as well. But And then I wor- worked in a lot of different disaster zones with a lot of different NGOs, Haiti after the earthquake, Nepal after the earthquake, um, Hurricane Sandy, Hurricane Dorian, Hurricane Michael, um, the Venezuela-Colombia border for uh, the refugee crisis that was coming across uh, that needed medical help. And multiple other different projects. After that, I moved to New York City and moved into education, uh, into physician assistant education. I worked. I started working in large scale events. Uh, so I worked as in, in medical for large scale events like Tough Mudder, Burning Man, U.S. Open of Tennis, a lot of concert series. I've uh, consulted with Paris Marathon and multiple different other 
large scale events on safety and uh, working together. When I uh, got hired with the Yale School of Medicine Physician Assistant Online Program, I realized that our program was going to be online. Uh, There are in-person components to this, but I also knew that I had to figure out how to set up uh, some kind of way to to teach interprofessional education because it is an accreditation standard for our profession. So Mary, do you think you could just explain to the listeners out there what a physician assistant is for those who may not know? Uh, We are a mid-level provider. People confuse us sometimes with nurse practitioners. We are similar. We do have similar scope of practice. Uh, We help fill the healthcare gap. Uh, I think there's sometimes confusion about what our profession does and is. Um, We're not trying to focus in on um, trying to take the role of nurses. We're not trying to take the role of doctors. We are there to work as a collaborative team. Uh, so I know in many different countries that might listen to this podcast, uh, there are we exist in approximately 56 different countries under 14 different names, different names like clinical officers, physician assistants, physician associates, medical licentiates, uh, assistant medical officers. So you might hear this terminology in, in your country, um, but we are key uh, players to the healthcare team and help filling the healthcare gap and. And uh, so that's a, a little bit about me and, uh, and and my role and where I've been in the past. Well, that's a that's a very very impressive resume and a lot of projects mm. going on. I suppose all at the same time as well. They all seem to be um, ongoing, not just kind of little one-off projects that you've been doing. And one of the ones that I'm particularly interested in is the VIPE, the Virtual Interprofessional Education Collaborative that you've established. In an article that I read, you said that you had this moment of epiphany when you were asked to discharge a patient and you wrote, that's when I learned that medicine's not only an art, it's about logistics and teamwork too. And you, you've kind of touched on that, on all that collaboration and a lot of the projects that you do with IP. But how is it that you've kind of managed to bring this onto an online platform? Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for that question. It's, as you can see with my background, um, a lot of the roles and the work um, that I've worked in in disaster and trauma, all of it is multi interprofessional, multidisciplinary, uh, intersectoral. Like it crosses many different sectors and many different disciplines. And in disaster, you need to work with multiple different professionals as a medical provider. So you might encounter um, having to work with um, wildlife, <laughs> border patrol, you there's there's definitely things that that come across. You you'll have to work with the police. You'll have to work with fire in in multiple different sectors. So, I think a lot of my career has been working with teams, and I've always seen the value of how powerful it is when you can work together. It's it's like a, a symphony and working in trauma, you have multiple different people who will come down to manage the patient. Sometimes it's the emergency medicine doctor at the airway, uh, the trauma team at the rest of the body, the orthopedics, you know, fixing the leg. And so there's, there's multiple different professional professionals that you're working with and collaborating with. And when you work in these environments, you see the, the harmony that happens when you're working together. And it's, it's quite magical. Um, so, with uh, 
physician assistant uh, education and with our program, the LPA online program, we needed to implement uh, interprofessional education because it's part of our accreditation requirement. Now, not every school has that requirement. And uh, I know certain countries are starting to mandate it for all healthcare professionals. Uh, so the article that you read there, <laughs> I think I, I was talking about when I was working in trauma surgery, I had always volunteered in a hospital uh, I had worked as a tech in the emergency department. I, I certainly knew what everybody's role was. I knew what a physical therapist was. I knew what OT and speech and social work. I knew all of their roles. But when I grad when I graduated, took my first job in, in trauma, and I went to go discharge that patient, and I said to the nurse, I said, "Well, what do I need to do to DC the patient, discharge the patient?" And they said, "Oh, you can write DCIV, DC home." And I said, "Okay." And they said, "You know, when the patient's ready." And so I went to the patient's room and said, you know, how are you doing? I, I saw the patient, examined the patient, read over the chart. I said, are you ready to go home? And they said, yes. And so I, I was like, okay, DCIV, DC home in my, in my naivety and, and definitely not something I'm proud of, but it's definitely a lesson. The patient didn't end up leaving, but um, <laughs> thankfully, but um, my boss said to me, what do you mean? Did, did physical therapy tell you what type of, you know, walker they need? Did they tell you which type of three-in-one commode they need for the bedside? Did they, you know, did uh, speech clear them because they previously had a trach? Um, and so there were all these things that I knew all of these other disciplines did, but I didn't realize that I was sort of coordinating that care. And so I realized, oh my, we need to talk to all these different professions, you know, read the notes, call them, uh, have multi- um, uh, disciplinary interprofessional rounding, um, because that's how you can take care of the patient and make patient-centered care amazing, just the same way it happens on the field in disaster. Um, so it's it's something that's truly important, and it, it's become a, a passion of mine to be able to figure out how do you, how do you do this online. So as I mentioned, our program is online. Uh, we work uh, with a technology company vendor. And they have other programs, uh, healthcare programs and business programs, uh, legal programs that they are also online. And so I said, okay, well, let me see. I don't want to just make this um, asynchronous content, you know, where here's information about social workers and here's information about public health and the students go on and to a discussion board and type what their role would be. I've seen in the literature a lot that that's what happens, but I felt like that wasn't personal enough. So I started to, I initially started Vipe, uh, which we call it, um, as uh, calling the different professionals <laughs> from different universities um, that were part of the technology company, almost sort of cold calling them. And, and I reached out to them and I said, hey, would you would you like to be a part of this interprofessional education? I would like to, you know, film short videos with you and we can, you know, talk about what your profession is, the roles and responsibilities, how you interact in and out of the clinic. And then I always ask, you know, a little, little bit of questions like, well, what do you do when I, when I interviewed um, the police, for example, uh, I said, well, what do you do if you suspect child abuse? Should a provider call? Like, would this ruin the family's lives? Sort of questions that I know that I had when I was, you know, a new graduate. And I thought, well, I suspect something, but what if I'm wrong? You know, and how do, you know, if I don't understand 
uh, a drug dosage or a, a, can I call pharmacy for help? Um, so those are the sort of type of questions. So I started out with doing video interviews for the um, different professions. Then we created pages so that there was text pages so that you could read about the different professions. And then um, from there, we formed, I, I was able to uh, luckily talk everyone into forming a committee with me <laughs> from all the different universities. Mm-hmm. We started out with Yale School of Medicine PA online program. Uh, NYU's occupational therapy at New York University, uh, New York University um, speech, uh, University of Southern California's uh, physical therapy, University of Southern California's um, social work department, uh, Georgetown nurse practitioner program, and GW School of Public Health. And that was uh, our first committee. Uh, We've since grown. and expanded across countries. Um, but we started with this committee and we started out making uh, cases. And then we started with our technology company filming cases. So we also have uh, these videos of patients, uh, which we typically use standardized patients for. Uh, and we have a real provider interviewing them, discussing the case, because we felt that that gave some kind of personal aspect to, to the VIPE sem- session. So we have all of this material that we give the students asynchronously. So the videos of the professions, the cases, um, we give them a text case, we give them the video of the standardized patient acting as a case, and we give them the information about the cases, and we also give them resources. And, um, and then we plan for a synchronous session where we go on Zoom or any type of, we've used Adobe Connect, we've used multiple different platforms in the past. And we have the students come into one large session and we introduce everything. And we, you know, the students have all the materials, they've reviewed the materials and then we meet and we, you know, introduce ourselves, introduce why we're doing, um, Vipe. Uh, and then we break the students out into interprofessional groups. And then in those groups, each one of those groups has a facilitator which we've trained and we create a facilitator guide for. Um, and the facilitators are not there to teach, but they're there to do problem-based learning. And so these small groups function usually no more than 15 people. We ideally have 12 people. Sometimes we have about 30 groups. And we have the facilitator you know, start off by saying, okay, so let's introduce ourselves and they go through and discuss the case. And so at the end of it, they come back into a room and they debrief and we call on each one of the groups to tell us about different things about what they found. And we set up different questions for each one of the groups as well so they can report out on. Um, It's been a really interesting and wonderful experience because the students always come out of it. And one thing that I always find is the students come out of it and they say, wow, I didn't realize you did that. I do the same thing. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a really great aspect that when you've kind of like done some teaching and the students come out of it, then they've just got that light bulb that goes on above their head and they just think, we're working together. We're working for the same goal here. Um, But we didn't know. 
and and now that they do know it opens up so many more avenues for them in the future and for patient care as well because that's mm. exactly what we are doing all of this for right. is to hone in on patient mm. safety so yeah it's a it sounds like a fantastic little project that well yeah. not quite a big project <laughs> it is quite a big project say, <laughs> <laughs> it is it is quite a big project it, it takes a, a dedicated committee um it takes um you know, the students, uh, some of them are not, they don't have to participate because it's not mandatory from their programs. So um, it is, you know, we have an accreditation standard to meet, but it's something that is important for all programs. And I know a lot of different universities are starting to say, hey, you, like participate in this. You know, there's great feedback from the students. The students enjoy it. The, the students have, um, I, I must say, the, the initial program started off in the United States and the students we have students across all 50 states for our program. And so students in Alaska were meeting students in New York City. People were exchanging information and phone numbers and saying, hey, if I have a question about social work, can I can I contact you? And so they were making these webs of networks that um, are powerful to help them support their career. Mm. And one of the other things that was so amazing, which I touched upon, is that the students when you're in these sessions and you're a facilitator, you're not teaching them, but you're asking them questions like, well, what do you think? Why do you think it's that way? What role would social work have here? Would, you know, would you see this? Um, how would you, you work with this as a doctor or as a PA? And I think the interesting thing is, is when the students come out of it, they're like, wait, I didn't, I had no idea that a physical therapist, a nurse, a doctor, and a PA all take a history. I had no idea they all performed somewhat of a physical exam and they didn't, they're like, why do you do it? I do it, you know? And it's like, well, we all do have overlapping elements of our scope of practice and none of us are trying to take one another's jobs. We're there for the patient. And so I think that's something that's so important. I think physician assistance is, you know, we exist in so many different countries and a lot of countries are struggling with you know, recognizing the profession or regulation of the profession is that we're there to work and to help and to be a part of the team and to take care of the patient, which is the goal. That's fantastic. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. I think the listeners will be really appreciating all those examples that you've given as well. It's really, really good. Thank you. Mm, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mary, for that. I mean, I think definitely kind of tying that in with um uh, with our next question um and just to kind of say i i mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast that mary had a vast experience um i think i rather undersold you there and the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the different uh, experience you have uh so but but moving on from that and, and on a related topic you have mentioned that, that the work you've conducted outside of the u.s particularly with responding to natural dis uh, disasters etc um, how have the approaches to healthcare and education in different countries shaped your view of IPE um, and particularly how it should be delivered and how it can be delivered? No, that's a fantastic uh, question. That's, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, so from, from VIPE, I actually presented on VIPE at AFRAPEN, which is the Africa um, initiative in, um, for IPE, which is a fantastic and wonderful, uh, network, uh, spearheaded by champion, um, who is part of our AfroVipe team. So one thing 
that happened when we were in Nairobi and I was presenting on this with my uh, colleague uh, from NYU. Everybody came up to us afterwards and said, we want to, we want to participate in Vibe. How do we do Vibe? Can we, can we be a part of this? And I said, sure, why not? And I really didn't know a hundred percent what I was getting into. Um, but we formed another committee. And so this was all, all the people that wanted to um, be a part of AfroVipe. And so a, a lot of the core committee and core students uh, joined into this. But it was very interesting because one of the things that happens is we, we do conduct research on this as well. Um, so we, we set up a pre-survey, pre-assessment. Some, in our pre-survey, we're just asking about general questions about like, what is your IP experience? The pre-assessment, we give them scenario questions like whose role would this be? And of course, multiple people um, it, roles are there. Um, and we also use the validated scales, the IPASS and the ICAS. So one thing that I realized when once we developed this team is that every one of the, even though we had an international review board ethics uh, approval from Yale University and multiple other universities, other universities in, uh, overseas required uh, us to get ethics in, in country. Uh, so that was, that was quite a bit of a, a little bit of a project. Uh, so it was quite interesting. But in the end, we were able to get the ethics review boards to pass this at every university. Uh, we had over 14 different countries participate. And I believe 21 different professions participate. And we had close to 400 students uh, or participants in, wow. in the session. Wow. So we had a very large Zoom room. It's not just the, the number of students, across where they are as well. Yes, it was, it was quite amazing because... As I mentioned, I created uh, the organization IFPACS, which represents PA students and comparable organizations, uh, students across uh, the world. And this is a similar organization inspired by the International Federation of Medical Students uh, because they represent 1.3 million students and have quite a bit of a voice. Um, and our students have never been united. So that was um, a goal of mine to unite our students, um, but also to have those students learn from our PA students and our PA students learn from them because their roles and responsibilities might be different in the countries that they are. So you can learn about your own profession in different countries. We also had medical students who were returning to South Africa that had been trained in China and had been trained in Cuba. So they didn't know the health professions and how the health systems worked in South Africa. And so that was a or how, you know, to, to work with other, um, they hadn't had exposure to interprofessional education in some of their training. So it was very exciting for them to come together and work. One of the things that I should mention is we had a great team in South Africa, Hanley and Louise, who set up um, a standardized patient and they filmed in uh, South Africa. And our patient uh, was a patient who lived in a shack who had um, no running water, no toilet system, uh, was having difficulty ambulating, uh, had a, a series of multiple medical problems, diabetes, um, a dog bite, which was injuring her legs, so she couldn't walk very easily. Um, but I think what these videos show um, is the ability to have multiple people from multiple continents who are not familiar what a living situation might be for a patient, understand what this patient is going through. So these students who might never have understood what a shack was 
or may never have fathomed having, you know, to tell a patient, Hey, well, you know, just go wash the wound in, in your sink, you know, or in your bathtub, um, or in the shower. And these students have now this visual image of here's a patient who lives without running water. And it's so important for these students to take in the social determinants of health of, does this patient have access to these uh, equipment? You know, that we get into this rhythm of, of telling patients, okay, you know, make sure to keep the wound clean, make sure that we keep the wound dry. And, and we're not taking into accountability is the patient able to get those supplies is the pay, you know, we should be, but to be able to show and teach the students this, um, I thought was very um, powerful to be able to demonstrate this through our standardized patient videos that we did through Afrovipe um, so that everybody can understand the different levels and cultural elements of where people are living. So I'm not sure I answered your question fully, but that was our example from Afrovipe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think you did. I mean, that's really interesting what you mentioned, um, Mary, about kind of the intercultural aspects of IP. And it's not just around looking at different professions, uh, but it's also looking about around situational aspects of healthcare and, you know, collaborative practice with a number of different cultures, number of different situations, etc. And I think that's something that's definitely really interesting to to the listeners, I, I believe, but also certainly from the inward conferences that we run, we get a, a lot of interest in intercultural aspects. So um, I think that will be certainly extremely interesting. Yes. I think it's also kind of like interesting to see your your slant on the way that you work with the students across the whole globe as well, which is really fantastic. Obviously, with all of this, you, you need educators in the mix. You need people to to have these things set up and have all these cultural differences explained to everyone as well. And and with that, you you set up an online in, international educators meeting as well. Was was this born from VIP, from Vipe, or did you do this beforehand? Oh, yes. Well, Vipe, uh, I, we started and created about, I guess, four years ago now, um, three and a half maybe. But um, the international educators uh, meeting, I've set up with the International uh, Academy of Physician Assistant Educators. And so I, I became really concerned uh, during COVID because I think many of our professional colleagues here in the United States were very worried about how are we going to, how are we going to do schooling for the students when COVID-19 hit and our program was fully set up online and we, we uh, fielded a lot of questions, but my, my biggest concern was the healthcare workforce in the rest of the world because not graduating a whole set of, you know, healthcare providers in, in the rest of the world, that's, that's really damaging, you know, and, and it's, it's, it can, the country will, you know, we're short, uh, the UN, um, WHO has a goal to train 18 million persons by 2030 to deliver healthcare. And so, you know, there's a huge gap in that. So I, I started to set up the international educators meeting through uh, the IAPAE, uh, as I'm the communications director there, and uh, started to gather everybody through Zoom, set up a WhatsApp chat. Um, we discussed different ways that we can teach. And um, I also supplied them uh, with the website that I developed uh, through a Macy Foundation grant. Uh, which is called virtual hyphen uh, or virtual dash ipe.com. And that's where we've put uh, our cases up there for free. And we ha- you have to request access for it so that we know that you're not a bot. Um, and that's where we've put the synchronous cases. But the other thing is that there's the ability to have 
asynchronous material is up there, but you have the ability to schedule synchronous cases on there. So it has a scheduling capability. So if a facilitator said, okay, I want to sign up for this case, then um, the students can all come in in there. And my goal is to have this website almost be like a playground for IPE um, so that students can come in there and meet different people from around the world and have, you know, different conversations about how is this done here? How is this done there? How can we work together? How can I learn about you? Um, because it's, it's not just about learning about, there's so many dimensions, right? You can learn about other professions in your country, other professions outside of your country. So that was, um, that was my goal, uh, for setting up, uh, the virtual, uh, dash IPE website. Um, so, um, to allow everybody to have access. That's brilliant. I, I think that's fantastic that you allow that to be an um, an open access thing as well, and especially globally, we're we're in we're lucky enough to be in developed countries, uh, and we've got access to great funds within health education, but many countries don't have that, and it, it's fantastic that you're allowing everyone to be able to get access to this because it's important that everybody gets access to it. Yes, and we encourage people to sign up with their their university um, email so that we know that it's affiliated with a university at least because um, sometimes we don't know if it's a, a bot or or if they want to use the um, website they can email me and then I can grant access. But right now I'm the uh, the administrator of the site, so it's it's very um, we're trying to look for help with that to help uh, manage uh, all of that because uh, building the website and um, I had a fabulous uh nicholas appleby helped with the build the website but i'm managing it now and sometimes i do things and it deletes uh, a whole page and i don't know what to do <laughs> so so if anyone wants to offer their help um please get in touch with mary yeah. <laughs> so um mary we're kind of coming to the end of the uh, our chat here but um uh, for those of you who listen to our last podcast we always try and think of a, a kind of difficult or challenging question to ask at the end um <laughs> that we kind of you know we'd like a, a kind of snappy answer to i guess which is uh you know a good way to to end the podcast but obviously i mentioned the varying experiences um you have mary and there were so many that we we could only come up with two um <laughs> we couldn't narrow it down to one question so you have two difficult questions uh-oh okay <laughs> um, but but we'll start with the first one um and uh as you know, our listeners, but also the, the INWA network as a whole, um, is a, has a very broad membership um, of educators, researchers, and policymakers. Obviously, your experience encompasses all three areas. Um, do you have any tips for how educators can engage effectively with stakeholders at a policy level? I think the biggest thing is to come with objective information. So as, and I can speak for PAs and physician assistants for many um, a lot, there's a lot of information that's subjective. Well, this is what I do. This is what I, you know, um, so I'm in the process of working on research, uh, with, uh, great colleagues, Jamie Smith, um, Trent Honda, a, a bunch of, um, people that are amazing, uh, forces in the PA education world looking at, you know, we've, we've collected official documents of scope of practice and, and, and mapping those um, out and seeing, you know, how we differ. I'm also in the process of, um, with the amazing colleagues, um, who, it's too many to mention at this moment, but um, we're collecting the curricula. And there's a pla- platform out of Germany called Loop, um, and that's L-O-O-O-P, 
Um, and it's a curriculum mapping platform and that's open access and open source. And so we're in the process, we've collected about 30 different curricula and we're in the process of mapping the PA education um, curricula around the world. That's going to be a long process. So <laughs> don't, don't just, don't, don't wait for that right now, but it, it'll take some time. But um, I guess the biggest thing is, is to have that objective data to present to policymakers, make it open source um, and, uh, you know, I've had conversations with ministries of health about, you know, well, what does a PA do in the U.S. versus a PA do in uh, another country? And so I think in order to best have conversations like that and represent it, it, it's to have the objective data versus trying to, you can definitely subjectively advocate for the profession, um, mm-hmm. but data is key. Really interesting. Very good answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> and. I, I agree with you because as, as someone who's been a practitioner um, and then moved into the policy field, um, definitely uh, showing um, objective, succinct um, data um, that very much backs up your very simple argument uh, would be, I think, the way, my personal way of engaging with the um, policy actors. And moving on to the second question. Um, <laughs> so you haven't got away lightly here. I know. Um, <laughs> So the second sort of difficult, challenging question was that you mentioned um, the experience you have outside of education academia, um, from becoming a yoga instructor to working with surfing associations um, and traveling to more than 100 countries. Um, Is there anything from your non-academic work that has really helped you um, with teaching IP? I I think, honestly, working in trauma surgery, um, working in disaster zones, and I think I touched upon that a little bit in the beginning and to tie it back in all of those areas, you can't work in a silo and it takes a team and it's the way that you can best take care of the patient, best take care of the community um, by working together as a team, talking to as many people as you can, networking across different uh, professions. Um, and, and that really that really is important. And, and I think once you realize like the power of teamwork and what you can do with an amazing team, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. You can, you can transcend a lot of different avenues and get a lot accomplished. And I truly believe, um, when we work together, we're stronger. Well, I think that's an excellent way to end this podcast. Um, thank you so much, Mary, for joining us today. Thank Um, you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, and, Uh, I'm sure everyone will be very interested in the work you're doing um, and also hopefully uh, very much looking at working collaborative with you on the many open source projects you have. So thank you again. Hitten, any final words? Yeah, it's been fantastic to to speak to you, Mary. And I think like for everybody that's interested in that integrated healthcare and interprofessional education, you've definitely given them some food for thought and some really great ideas for how they can take this forward and collaborate with yourself and other people around the globe, not just trying to keep it local, but think big and, and go for it, really. And so I suppose as we're ending our day in Europe, we'll let you start yours over in the US today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, everyone, that's it for this episode. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we really hope that you've enjoyed it. This podcast was brought to you by the International Network for Health Workforce Education. INWA is a multi-stakeholder, interprofessional network aiming to improve the education and training provided to health professionals globally. 
we promote online knowledge sharing, run academic events, and participate in research projects. You can join our network completely free by visiting www.inward.org. You can follow us on Twitter at inwa underscore network, and please share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Google, iTunes, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed it, leave us a positive rating. Casting the Network is co-hosted by Hitton Mitha and David Smith and produced and edited by Hitton Mitha. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. See you next time.